Well, greetings, church. So good to be with you another week online. I want to invite you to join us in just a a sweet time of worship together. Always our hope is, is that you really take time during this section to engage and worship our Lord. Oh, oh. 
Well, hello again. Chris here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in a time of worship. And uh, thank you again. Uh, we hope that uh, this time with us uh, is just a blessing for you and your family uh, throughout the week. Uh, well, as you know, we love praying for you. There's a lot going on in our world, and prayer requests uh, always come up. And uh, we love praying for you. So if you would like to text us your confidential prayer uh, request at 97,097,000, uh, we love praying for you throughout the week and you can text that anytime 3 a.m you can text that to us and uh, we would love that well there is a lot going on here uh, if you would like to have any information about our men's ministries women's ministries uh, student ministries all the ministries that we have going on we got tons of ministries and tons of weekly happenings uh, the best place to find that information is our website at agorabible.org agorabible.org and you can visit us there anytime and on our website you'll see under the give tab uh, you can actually make a donation and as you know uh, our ongoing ministry is is made because of people like you who uh, generously give and we're so grateful for that so you can give again under the donate tab on our website well before we get into God's word today uh, let me take a second and pray for us well father we thank you so much for uh, the people listening online, for the families that are represented, Lord. And uh, we are so thankful that you are a God that can speak to all of us, no matter where we are. And uh, we don't take that for granted, Lord. Uh, just pray, Lord, for this time that uh, uh, your spirit will nudge us, will move us, and that we'll hear exactly what you want us to hear today. And uh, we love you so, so much, Lord. I pray that the distractions of the next few minutes will go away and uh, we can focus on your word and your spirit, Lord. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Chris. It's always good to be back with you. Uh, so grateful for Josh getting a chance to work through God's Word last week, getting back into the book of Hebrews. Hopefully, you're blessed by that. And I just wanted to encourage uh, both our our online people and people gathering on Sundays just for their diligence and staying with us in this Hebrew series. We have to admit that this is a, a pretty dense book. And so I just wanted to compliment you on staying the course. A lot of times people think when they think of different books that are more focused on theology, they think, oh man, that's so boring and so uh, monotonous. But the truth is, it couldn't be any, any farther from true. In fact, a lot of times the church, Big C Church, actually moves towards more the, the pragmatic. How do I improve my marriage? How do I successfully raise kids? How do I break unhealthy habits? But you have to understand, and the, the wise man understands this, that really what you believe impacts the way in which you live. So it's important when you're considering major subjects to be rooted and grounded in what you believe, and then that trickles into every aspect of your life. Our author understands this truth, so he's carefully explained. First section of the book, he's carefully outlined how Jesus is superior to everything and everyone. And more recently in the book, he's been exposing us to the reality that, hey, because of what Jesus did on the cross as our high priest, as our perfect sacrifice, we now have full access to God. We have full access. And so with that access, what do we do? And you think about it, when you realize you have full access, it impacts all those other areas. Think about the, as I brought up marriage, 
When you realize that you have access to God, you're like, oh, wait a second. This relationship that I have to God is intended to be reflected in my marriage. The extent that I'm able to pursue intimacy there is going to directly translate into my marriage. Think about as it relates to raising kids. You're like, oh, when I have access to God, you start to realize, man, that's everything. That's the only thing that satisfies and it directly impacts how you raise your kids. You're no longer so focused on trying to see them succeed at sports and academics. You're like, man, I just want them to know and love the Lord. It impacts obviously healthy habits in your life because you start to realize that Jesus is the one thing that satisfies. When that truth really sets in, you're like, all of a sudden, the things that would have been enticing don't really have a draw when you come and show up to the table with a full cup. See, this book has significance in shaping our core beliefs, and our core beliefs then translate into our actions. Let me pray before we explore this section of scripture that's so important for our core beliefs. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance again to gather around your word and to see how this truth is so relevant to us today. And now as we're working through this book, we're, we're moving towards more the, the practical. If we have access, how do we respond to that access, God? We're excited to see what your word teaches us. I pray that we'd be free of distraction now and that you'd speak directly to us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so I've entitled this message, Responding to Full Access. No guess there, as I've already alluded to the point of this section. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says this, Therefore, in other words, because of this, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to this, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Pretty cool description there as they were thinking about access. I was thinking and talking to, actually just today, a good friend of mine, his name's David, and his son's name is similar to my son's name. It's Jace rather than Chase. But Jace is a real avid uh, Star Wars fan, and we always laugh about his engagement with that film because for the last five Star Wars movies that were released, they had some kind of a red carpet uh, like viewing event where only a select few people were invited to go into Hollywood and get a chance to view the movie before it actually came in or made it to the, to the big screen. Well, those people that are attending those events are excited about being there and have that full access pass that they, of course, take pictures of. And so our friend, uh, his son, uh, zooms in on those access passes, and he's real good with graphics, and duplicates them. So for the last five films, 
the last five Star Wars, he's been in attendance at the red carpet event with his fake homemade passes that successfully, now hopefully this doesn't land him in prison, but it's kind of cool to hear stories of, uh, I was even just talking to him, getting the story straight today. I was just like, what has that been like? And he's like, man, it's had so many cool encounters and interacted with people, different people in the Star Wars uh, world and university. I got to, got to meet at an after party. Of course, he has the access pass to that too, at a meeting Jay. J.J. Abrams getting a picture with him. All these cool stories of just what happens when you have access. Of course, you want to draw near to people. And you think about that, that's similar for us. We've talked about this all the way back on Good Friday that before, prior to this, there's a huge curtain that separated man from the access to God. And only the high priest would enter in to the Holy of Holies once a year. And now we're being told that now they have full access to God. You see, this is what each one of us was designed for and created to experience, but our sin had separated that access, had severed that relationship. But now that the curtain has been torn in two, now again, there's access. And so, of course, what do we want to do? I've already alluded to it. Of course, you want to draw near. You want to draw near as best as you can and as often as possible. It's not something that we draw near as we've alluded to, not because of something we've done, not our confidence in self, but by the blood of Jesus, the text describes. It says, draw near with a true heart. Looking that expression up, true hearts, the idea of not a divided loyalty. This is somebody that's fully in, wanting to go before him. He uses a couple interesting terms that we might not typically use. It talks about being sprinkled clean. That would be, again, reference to Old Testament. We're dealing with a priest in Exodus 29. It describes of the ceremonial cleansing of the priest that required being uh, sprinkled with water and also sprinkled with blood as part of their purification process. But now we're coming before the Lord, as it describes here, with a clean conscience. We've been washed because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So the question is, what does drawing near look like? I want us to think about that for a moment in our own life and think back about the different seasons that you've been in and times that you can think back to, times where you really felt the most connected to God. Because if that's the charge for us with access, you want to think through, okay, when have I sensed the closest to the presence of God? Think back at my own life because the idea is trying to replicate some of these things. Times where you sense a closeness. I know some of those times have been in opportunities where I'm serving, whether it's a missions trip, whether it's a serving project. There's something that happens that unites us with the Lord when we start elevating others' needs above our own. So, so it doesn't mean that you have to be on an ongoing missions trip, but thinking through what does it look like to have healthy habits of serving others rather than focused on self. If you want to figure out how to draw near, what does that look like? I would say that that would be a significant one to replicate. 
Other times where I've really sensed being in the, the presence of God or drawing near to him would be times of different camp experiences where you, where you pull away from all the distractions. And every year uh, when kids get back from Hume, they're like, oh man, it was really actually good to be away from cell phones, from media, from video games, all that stuff. There's something that happens when you actually pull away on our alone with God. What if instead of talking about the one time a year that we did that, what if we tried to replicate that as part of our routine? What does it look like for you to pull away, to slow down, to spend some time in God's word, spend some time talking to him, spend some time listening. Those are all things that you don't have to wait for an occasional event. You can create those opportunities to draw near. You also think about times of connection with the Lord and times of worship. Maybe you've been to a worship concert. I know for many years we went to this uh, pastor's conference called Catalyst, and we always looked forward to one of the evenings that was just packed with worship. And I'm like, well, do we have to wait for that once a year event? Or is that something that we can duplicate? That's something that we can have a worship concert in our car on the way to work, turning the tunes up, the worship tunes up and singing out. I always stop at a stoplight and see somebody next to it, probably not singing worship music, but man, that's an opportunity to sing. Or what if when we're in church on Sunday, we really chose to engage? I always picture this room, if it was packed with people, that every single one of them was with full abandon, worshiping the Lord, what that would feel like. It doesn't work if you show up halfway through the third song. This is something that takes intentionality. You have to choose to have that experience. Rather than waiting for these moments to happen, a lot of times you have to initiate them. Some people say like, man, I, I, I feel like I connect God with God when I'm out looking at, at the stars at night, staring up into space. Well, I'll carve out that time. You figure out how to make it, take a walk, be in God's creation, to go down to, to Malibu. You can't deny his existence in some of those locations. All of this takes intentionality and it's not an occasional event. It's looking up that expression, draw near, and it actually uh, the, translates to the word seek. And seek, when I was digging in a little bit deeper, that word actually means to trample underfoot. What do I mean by trample underfoot? The idea is this, is that you keep on going and looking for something long enough and often enough that it actually starts to wear down the path, becomes a beaten path. And so when he's saying draw near, it's not a one-time event. It's something that should be reoccurring so often that, man, there's a trail on the way to the throne room. There, there's a beaten path because you're heading down it so often. So that's the idea that he starts with. Once you have access, the biggest thing and most important thing I would suggest and what scripture points to is to draw near, look for opportunities to do that. Continue in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So the second one you probably guessed there is the idea of holding fast. What are we holding fast to? What does it say? The confession of our hope. What's the confession of our hope? Well, think about that in the terms of, of baptism. When you made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you verbalized that in front of a group of people, similar to a wedding vows. You, you said, hey, these are my promises. I'm sticking to them and I want the world to know. That's the whole idea here 
is to hold fast to those original promises. Why would we have to hold fast to them? The whole idea of holding fast tells you that there's something that's tugging you for you to go the opposite direction, for you to be pulled away from it. You don't have to hold fast if there's nothing pulling, but we all know, and it's completely obvious, that the world would love to see us pulled away from some of those commitments. And any of us that have followed the Lord for any extended period of life, you realize what a pull this world has. Hold fast is what we're charged with. I like that idea of it being a confession, though, something that's verbalized. I don't know if any of you are guilty of this, but as I get older, I feel like I do a little bit more and more talking to myself out loud. I don't know, man, I'm putting myself out there, but I do that fairly often just when I'm, whether it's uh, uh, just uh, uh, reminding myself to stay on track with something, whether it's uh, I'm playing a sport and I'm coaching myself, even you might not realize this, but before giving a sermon every single week, I sit in my office and talk through this whole sermon out loud. I'm sure people walking by are like, what's that weird guy doing? The other day, my daughter Sienna is like, hey dad, did you say something? I was like, oh, I guess I was saying something, but it wasn't to you. I was talking to myself. I like this idea of verbalizing the commitment that we have to Christ, allowing that to be something that in the, in the middle of temptation, say, man, I'm not going there. Reminding ourselves there's power in words. Sometimes it's just verbalizing the object of our faith. Jesus Christ, Jesus, rescue me here. Jesus, help me in this need. This idea of verbalizing here, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Hope, I like this definition I read this week, is the certain yet not realized promises of God. We know they're certain because of the faithfulness of the one who's making the promise. That's the idea here. Confession of our hope without wavering for, th- for he who promised is faithful. So hold fast. Next one, verse 24, tw- verse 24 st- stir up. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expression of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Man, intense section of scripture there. Let's just gradually work through that a little bit and kind of process through what's being said. A lot obviously happening. The first thing that's mentioned, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another. 
like this idea of stirring, and often that's the idea, stirring something is the idea of provoking something. It's usually used in a negative uh, uh, sense. We think about somebody that's maybe provoked you or irritated you. If you're sitting next to them right now as you're listening, don't elbow them, but you get the idea. Somebody often that's closest to us has the best potential to provoke us or to stir us up. But here it's not in a negative context. We're told to nudge people or stir people towards what? Love and good works. Why would that be necessary? Why would you need to stir somebody or nudge somebody towards love and good works? The reason I would suggest you need to be nudged towards that is because neither come natural in the flesh. Both require elevating others above yourself and we're basically inherently self-centered. So it's going to take a, a prodding or a nudging or a stirring, as the text says, to move us towards us. And I like that it even says, consider how you're going to do it. Consider means there's some, some thought given to it. Even the person that does the nudging, they've got to think through, all right, how am I able to stir up these folks towards love and good works. What does that look like? So both takes intentionality. For us to, to act in love and good works takes intentionality. And for someone to stir you takes intentionality. And where does that all take place? Where does that take place? We see it that the place that this provoking, provoking happens is when we gather as the church. As we gather as the church. You see, we get confused about what church is intended to be about. A lot of times we show up to church and we're thinking, you know, how's this going to meet my needs? And that's a, unfortunately what the consumerism that we can move towards is thinking through, well, I don't really need to come to church because, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to watch online. I'm, I'm, able to, I, I, I'm able to just have my own quiet times with the Lord. But you're missing the whole idea as we see here of what's intended to happen with the body of Christ. We're supposed to be together, nudging, encouraging each other. This is supposed to be home base, if you will, after a, a long, hard week where you come back to be refueled and sent back out for influence. That's the description here. That's why he's very clear. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You see, coming to church is not a suggestion, it's a directive. We're told not to break out of that habit. I think about that even cautiously as I think about the online services. Sometimes I'm, if I'm gonna be honest with you, sometimes I'm hesitant to keep offering the online service because this is always intended to be an occasional thing that provides a temporary opportunity to stay connected to God's word when you're missing for a short period of time. But it's never intended to be a habit or a routine. The habit and routine is for us to be together as the body of Christ, nudging each other and stirring each other towards love and good works. And when that's happening appropriately, you show up with a, a mindset of serving others and stirring up others and you're not thinking about yourself, but you're naturally, it works the way it's supposed to do because other people are showing up and they're encouraging you. That's God's design for the church to be a source and place of encouragement. 
also establishing habits as it describes there is not some in the habit of not going is think about that what an important thing it is that for us who are parents establishing habits for even the next generation think about it if a if a kid grew up and they're like yeah my parents didn't really prioritize it what chance do you think there's going to be that they're going to prioritize it when they're older man pretty much not going to happen or not likely that it's going to happen find it interesting as we stay on this topic just for a moment how often I talk to parents and they're like well I let my kids choose whether they're going to come to church or not it's interesting what how that works and how often uh, people go that route but you think about in every other arena of their life we don't give them choices for things that are important for them you don't let Johnny say you know what mom and dad I I decided I'm done going to school I don't really like school I don't get a lot out of it you'd be like no, of course you go to school. That's what's healthy for you. And because I'm older and I know better, I'm going to keep requiring that as an expectation. It's maybe a charge for some of the parents in our church family to consider my words as it relates to that. And for some of us that have gotten out of habits of being in church, man, it's an open invitation. You might be, but Pastor Scott, I just don't feel connected like I used to after COVID. You're like, uh, of course you don't feel connected because you haven't had the opportunity to connect. I always say, man, you spend six months coming to the different things we have on the calendar, coming to being a part of a Bible study, being in a life group, being engaged in the different events we have. We had this amazing uh, golf outing that happened this last week. We have this women's tea coming up, all these different things. If you're actually there, you will be connected. It's just, it's just a matter of putting in the work and paying the dues. Here's the idea, though. It transitions there, and this is where that section gets pretty heated and pretty intense. The alternative that's presented to this kind of community is the alternative, man, is presented here is to drift back to a life of, of operating in the flesh pre-Christ. And he's describing this and pretty intense. He describes this group of people that are sinning intentionally. And so that's a little bit confusing because when you look at the way that the, uh, the sacrificial system was put in place and how it operated, was somebody that was sinning unintentionally, they had opportunities for sacrifices for their sins, to cover those sins. But you might say to yourself, you're like, well, a lot of times if I'm honest with myself, some of my sins are quite intentional. But the idea here of intentional sin now as well as back in Numbers 15 when this was originally discussed, the idea of intentional sin is the idea of somebody that wants nothing to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Is shaking their fist and saying, no, I'm going to do my own thing and I don't really care about any of the things that are suggested in the body of Christ, that, nothing that's suggested in church, anything with the Ten Commandments. They're like, no, thank you. That's the person where the sacrifice that's been made is not actually covering their rescue because they've chosen to reject it. That's the person that describes here that sat in church, heard about grace offered through the cross, and then going back to just the human effort thing. And that's the whole threat for his audience now, or the audience of this letter. It's going back to Judaism, which was a works-based system of belief. And so he's saying, he's threatening them, or warning them, you might say, man, you're going to fall into the category, he describes it here, 
as adversaries headed towards a fury of fire that will consume them. Like man describes this as a fearful expectation of judgment. So often we don't like to talk about that in church, but so often it's brought up in scripture. I feel like I have this awkward conversation just week after week where you're just like, man, sorry, scripture points to that again. But that's part of the reality is that there will be judgment for those who resist and reject the lordship of Jesus Christ and his rescue on the cross. Describes here, he's trying to make a point. He says, if the stiff consequence of store, uh, if there's the stiff consequence of stoning for somebody that sets aside the law of Moses, he's just saying, man, if there's stoning back in the uh, Old Testament for somebody that rejected the law, imagine what's coming for the one who rejects the Son of God. It's outrageous. Describes it there, outrage the spirit of grace. If you really stop and think about it and get to the heart of the offer that's on the table, rejecting Jesus's offer really is outrageous. Think about it for a moment. The God of the universe made the choice to come down on a rescue mission and allowed himself to be put to death on a cruel cross as a rescue for you. And you're going to say, no, thank you. What in the world? That is outrageous. It's an unbelievable act of stubbornness to resist that. And that's why he describes it as a trampling of grace. Describes it as a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God who rejecting his provision extended to you. Authors literally trying to scare the, excuse the expression, but to scare the hell out of his audience. He wants them to recognize, man, this is, this is serious stuff. So after that, after this reminder, and, and here's the thing I wanted to point out, is you might be, when you read a section of scripture like that, you might be thinking to yourself, you're like, man, I, I, I still have patterns of sin. I still have stuff that I haven't been set free from. There's some, some old habits that haven't been able to let go of. But here's the idea. What I see in scripture so often is there's a ton of grace for those who are putting up a fight. Those that are struggling. It's always concerning though when somebody has given themselves over to it that says, you know what? That's just who I am and I can't stop that. There's always grace for when there's a, an attempt to resist and to, uh, and to flee temptation. But here's the idea. If you're thinking, you're like, man, I don't know. I, I wonder if this is me that it's describing. Most likely it's not just by the fact that you're asking that question. Because who it's describing here is the intentional sinner that has shaken their fist and said, I want nothing to do with this God. That's not you if you're wrestling through that. But that doesn't mean that it, I don't want to let somebody off the hook either. If somebody has never bent their knee and called out to Jesus for their rescue, man, there's no better time than the moment right now to plead for his rescue. He'll come racing to you with his grace. So, after this punch to the gut, you might describe it in that section, the author ends with a few sips of lemonade, something a little bit more palatable. Look in verse 32. So responding, we, we've talked about this already, responding uh, to the access is for sure to stir each other up, to spur each other on. Now the, thir the, the next one is the idea of recalling. It says this, but recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, 
you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those who treated, with, with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. We'll pause there. This call, basically, I've, I've titled this section here, Recall, this idea of thinking back or reflecting on. What he's calling them to think back on is actual event, most likely he's referring to in 49 AD uh, in Rome, the, the Jews experienced tons of persecution. It was kind of a significant season and mark for that. Most likely that's what he's referring to when they had first made decisions to embrace Jesus. But man, they felt the heat of that. They felt the ramifications of that choice. Most of us have never actually experienced genuine, true persecution, but we still get the idea of it. And what he's calling them to basically is the same thing we can be called to is going back to when it was all new. When it describes here, when, when you were first enlightened, when your eyes were first open to the grace that Jesus Christ offers. Man, I'll tell you what, that was the season for many when you were on fire. You were unstoppable. There was nothing that phased you. I like the description of the, this, it says they joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You're like, what in the world? Can you imagine being in that scenario where your stuff's being taken, there's friends are being thrown in prison, and they're like, man, you did it all with joy. How's that even possible? How's that possible? It's possible. We see there, it describes it, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, it was rooted in their knowledge. Again, to my point that I started this message with, when you're understanding that, oh, this is just all temporary, you realize, man, it's all fleeting. And so I'm not really that concerned about any of it. It's all a temporary run. He's inviting them to recall, to remember. I think that's an important uh, kind of uh, routine or pattern in our life to implement is, is taking back time to reflect on God's faithfulness, his provision, rem reminding ourselves of, ah, it wasn't that big of a big, that big of a deal back then. It shouldn't be a big deal now. Just for the sake of time, we need to get through this uh, last section. Verse 36, it says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Whoa. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I like that description. It says, for you have need for endurance. The longer you walk with the Lord, you begin to realize what a huge part of the Christian life that is. Like, man, it's one thing to be on fire for a season. It's one thing to get after. But man, after a while, you see, man, this is a long road of following the Lord. It's, it's a long race. It's a, it's, a, it's a perseverance thing. 
was just visiting some family this last week and got a chance to catch up actually with an old college roommate. And uh, man, he's a, a real athlete. His name's Neil. And just talking to him about some of his different athletic endeavors, he had finished the, the Ironman. And I don't know if you're familiar with that race. It's a two-mile swim, 120 miles on the bike, and then a marathon after that. So 26 miles after that. Unbelievable. I was asking him just about that experience. And I was just like, Neil, what was that like? How did you, what, what did you have to do? What was that experience? He said, you know what? He said, all you had to do is just tell yourself, just keep going. He's like, just keep going. A 12 hour plus race for him. This idea of just continuing this endurance. And it's funny because now he's a number of years off after doing that. And at the time, I imagine it seemed like it was going to last forever. But now it's a distant memory. memory. And that's the same exact thing for us to understand in the scope of eternity. This is just a light jog around the cul-de-sac. It'll be sooner than later that the Lord returns, that he comes back. He's, he's already referenced that a number of times already in this section, that he's coming back. And so don't, don't slip, don't, as it describes here, don't shrink back. Keep on going. Shrink back if you've ever spent any amount of time in the gym. That concept is pretty obvious that as soon as you stop using something, you begin to lose it. Like I remember after a good arm injury that I had, uh, I had a surgery on a torn bicep and it was probably six months before getting to be back into exercising and that routine. And looking down at my arm, I was like, man, where did my arm go? What, what happened here? When he's charging them, he says, man, if you're, not, if you're not enduring, if you're not keeping after it, it will begin to shrink back. Start to, this once dynamic person that was on fire for the Lord, man, that person, all of a sudden you're like, what happened to them? What happened to that fire? What happened to that passion? You have to put in the work or you will lose it. That's the idea here. And I love that his charge there says, it's almost like an anthem. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back. It's almost like a, a, a charge, a, a, a passionate plea to say, claim that for yourself. I'm not going to be one of those stories of the person who shrunk back. So each of these are reminders for us, for us to reflect on which, which exhortation is he charging you towards to, to draw near? Maybe that's an invitation this week. What does it look like for you to draw near, to think through, what have I done in the past when I was drawing near where I really sensed his presence? Well, duplicate that. Figure out how to implement those things back into your life so it's a worn path heading through the curtain into the throne room. Hold fast to the promises. Maybe it's just reminding yourself verbally. Maybe you need to say something out loud, to be, be a self-talker like I described, reminding yourself of the commitments that you've made, stirring others up. Maybe that's what you need to start thinking through the lens of that when we're gathered for worship, of what would it look like for you to be an encouragement to somebody else, to, spur, to, to, to ask them, hey, how are you doing? None of that happens without a level of intimacy with other people. You need to have relationships. So, okay, I'm gonna commit to going deeper with people, really asking some questions of how they're doing. How can I be praying for you? How can I stir you towards love and good works? Maybe it's the recall thing. Maybe you need to reflect back on some of the old ways that God was faithful to you, some of his old provisions. Maybe you need to go back to the basics of your faith where you are on fire for the Lord. 
The last one, maybe it's just a season that you're in that you just need to endure. God, I, I need your strength. I can't do this on your own. Any one of these would be a great thing in the week ahead to camp on. God, what do you want to do in my heart as th- with this subject? I'm confident he would have something for each one of us. I know he does for me. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to be in your word on these invitations that happen once you have access. We've spent so much time in Hebrews setting up this idea that that Jesus has paid the penalty so that we can have a restored relationship with God. But now that we have that all access pass, what are we going to do with it? And my hope and my prayers, each one of us would be consistently running into the throne room with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ, taking advantage of that access. We need your help in all of this though. Otherwise, we just slip back into atrophy and doing things in the flesh, God. So we ask for that even in these moments before we sing. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.
All right, church family. Well, again, thanks for being with us online. Hopefully it's been an encouraging yet challenging time in God's word. Hopefully this will be something that's a catalyst for your week ahead. As always, any way we can serve you, always feel the freedom to reach out. God bless. Have a great week.